Hey, hey, how are we doing today? Good? What's wrong with you people? We're going to try that again. We just sang songs to, to God. Um, it, it was a nice day today, albeit humid. It was nice. You don't live in West Virginia. Um, the, the Chiefs have a great team this year. How are we doing today? Good? All right. Hey, um, I, thank you so much for having me. I, I just got to tell you, I love uh, Pastor Nate. I love him. He is a dear friend. He's been a friend for a while. And I even love George. Pastor George is a good dude. I love him. He's going to be way ahead of the line in, to get into heaven than I am. And I appreciate that guy. Uh, you know, Matt, Pastor Jim here. If, if you attend this church, I just want to let you know, you attend a great church. And if you're visiting this church... If you're visiting this church and you're just kind of, you know, kicking the tires and looking underneath the hood and seeing if you want to stay or not, um, I hope that you keep on coming back. If it's your first time visiting, it's my first time here too on the weekend, so we can be new together, you know, so don't feel awkward. I'm new too. We're, we're new together. Um, but this is a place where it's okay not to be okay. This is a place where we come together and we journey together and we dialogue and we learn about our differences, but we all follow Jesus together. So I just want to let you know that you're in a great place. And I hope that you keep on coming back uh, to this uh, sermon series that we're in. Uh, Pastor Dave Stone is going to finish it up next week, I believe. Um, if you didn't catch last week and what Pastor George said, you need to go online to the Northside website and check it out. So anyway, I, I, just, I just hope that you will engage this and um, just... Again, you, you, you are in a great, great place. Now, I, however, I live in Los Angeles, California, that area, um, because my family and I enjoy uh, not having money and paying. <laughs> yeah, we do. We enjoy paying um, a lot for our house and giving money to the state. It, it's a joy. <laughs> I actually said that. Anyway, um, I love California. There are many things I love about California. Um, but yeah, we live out there. Um, I'm married to my wife, Amy. Uh, she, is, she is beautiful. She is a muy caliente Latina. And in her wildest imagination, she had no clue that her knight in shining armor would look like a cross between Gru, Dr. Evil, and Uncle Fester. I mean, this is... <laughs> this is her eye candy. She enjoys every day. Don't be jealous. <laughs> we have two kids. Rachel, who's 12, Joel, who's 14, um, and, and I got to tell you about this story with Amy, okay? Um, since this happened to me, I've learned a lot of things, and you'll see what I'm talking about in a minute, but um, uh, several years ago, uh, we, I, I was in a hurry to get to work. I'm not a coffee drinker, and I know for some of you that makes you question my salvation or even my humanity. Um, I, I'm not a coffee. You can get through life without coffee. I know it's hard to believe, but it is possible. Um, I drink more Jamba Juice. Um, if you don't know what that is, you're okay. Don't worry about it. So anyway, we get a lot of hot tea at our house. And I just normally used to grab a packet of tea and just drink it. And this one day I was in a hurry, and I grabbed this packet of tea, and I noticed the name on the tea box, but I just kind of glanced over it and didn't care about it. And I had a cup of it, and I was like, man, this is good. So I brewed another you know, cup and had it, and I get to work about half an hour into work, my stomach starts grumbling. It's like the tea wants to escape. And I'm starting to get the sweats, you know, the sweats, the meat sweats that you get after Thanksgiving dinner, you know, 
where you have to go get your stretchy pants after you eat. I'm starting to get that, and it gets worse and worse and worse. I run to the bathroom, and I'm in the bathroom four and a half hours. Um, and then I think back, what happened, what happened? And I remember the name on the tea box. Um, the name of the tea on the tea box was Smooth Move. Um, it was a laxative tea. And I had two cups. And, and I was just so upset. Like, I'm just, I called Amy because I needed somebody to blame. It couldn't be my fault, right? How, how could it ever be my fault? And I'm like, why did you bring Satan's juice into our house? Well, no, that, that's for my family, not for you. I'm like, Amy, we need to burn that tonight and scatter the ashes. She's like, well, why didn't you read what's on the box? I'm like, that's not important right now. Since then, I've learned to read what you're consuming before you consume it. That, that's important, right? Um, but man, I just really reflected on that. That led me to make this statement. And um, I've heard other pastors make this statement. I want to make this statement to you. It's true of me. It may not be true of you. I'm trying to help my kids who are 12 and 14 to understand that it's true of them. L let me see if you can resonate with what I'm getting ready to say. You ready? Here it is. I have participated in every bad decision that I've ever made. Yeah, some of you are not saying a word right now. Some of you are like, no, it was them. It was their fault. You say it again. I participate in every bad decision that I've ever made. Yeah, but they, they, they did that. Okay, cool. But I answer for me, right? Now, I wanted to blame my wife in that sense, but in reality, I had to come back here because I have either, either participated or in many cases, I've been the architect of my very bad decisions. I have at the very minimum co-signed on them. At the very minimum. And I want to talk about that because that, that's not an easy thing to admit. It's not easy for you and I. And as long as we're confused about that, about, about taking ownership, we will never be able to make really good decisions. We will never know our next steps. And today, what I want us to deal with is this question right here. What should I do when I don't know what to do? What should I do when I'm faced with a situation and I don't know what to do? What should I do when I feel like I'm entering uncertainty? And you're like, wasn't that last year? Yes. But for some of us who are watching or listening live or after the fact or streaming or in person right now, for some of you, that has been the description of your entire life. It's not just 2020, you feel like your whole life has been one big, ambiguous journey. There's some of you, you like to plan everything. And when uncertainty comes, you feel like you're gonna have an aneurysm. You're like, oh, just, what, what are we gonna do? We can't, we can't organize it and schedule it, right? But what, what, what do you do when you're faced with a circumstance? You don't know what to do, what do you do? When you're, when you're so hurt by somebody and you don't know how to respond, what do you do when somebody has made a decision that affects you and you feel the anger coming up and you, you just you don't know what you should do? You don't know if you should get mad at them or hold it or what? What do you do when you're faced with a dilemma, maybe ethical, maybe a moral dilemma, 
something that tests your character and your integrity, and you don't know what to do. I could give more examples, but come on. Think about your own life real quick. If it's easier, think about somebody else's life real quick. The person next to you. Like, it's pretty easy to look at them and say, well, I'll tell you what you should do. Like, seriously, nobody has bought into my opinions more than I have, just to let you know, okay? So you tell me a problem, I can say, well, yeah, here's what you should do, you know? And whether or not you decide to do it, that's up to you. If you want to be wrong, that's fine. (laughs) But when I'm faced with that, it becomes different, right? Because my emotions cloud my clarity. We don't always know the right thing to do. So what do we do? What do I do? What do you do when we don't know what to do? Well, as I said before, we've been in this series called Proverbs, uh, in Proverbs. And Proverbs, just for a quick review, is written by the son of like the most famous king in the Bible, King David. It was written by, Proverbs was written by his son named Solomon. Solomon had kind of a wild life. He was very wise, but he had no common sense. Okay, he, he was, a, he was a, a good king for many years until he kind of became a sellout. And then at the end of his life, he came back to God and he wrote down the book of Proverbs for his son and his grandkids and their legacy and so on and so forth because wisdom is really kind of a combination of knowing and doing. Wisdom relies on, on experience. There's a famous professor at the school called Dallas Theological Seminary. Um, Howard Hendricks, and this professor was well known for many different quotes, but one of the quotes that he said that I love the most was that experience doesn't make you better, evaluated experience makes you better. It's not just experience, it is evaluated experience that makes you better, and wisdom is when you and I are really able to reflect on it, and so on and so forth. And wisdom can help us make those decisions. But I think that there are some principles that we can learn from, uh, from some verses in Proverbs 14 that will help us know what to do and be able to make good decisions when we don't know what to do. So um, if you have your Bibles or your mobile devices, you can turn to Proverbs 14. If you don't, I'm going to read the verses. We're going to have them on the screen for you as well. And in Proverbs 14:8, we only have like four verses um, so, but unfortunately, you're not going to get out early to go to the buffet. Um, I'm going to go in depth there, but just, I'm, I'm just warning you, so don't get excited about that, okay? Proverbs 14, 8, in the NIV translation says this. <clears throat> the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. Now, I like that translation. I don't think it's the best. So I want to read the same verse in another translation. I'm going to read it in a second. And this other translation is called the New Living Translation. Okay, and some, there are some people, you know, you know a lot about the Bible and you know a lot about the translations and you know uh, probably more about the Bible than Paul did. And there are some people like, well, I don't like the NLT. Well, okay, cool. You're not preaching. I am. So anyway. I'm going to reread this verse from the NLT, and the rest of the verses I'm going to read are from the New uh, Living Translation. Here's how they translate Proverbs 14.8, and I think it's a better translation when you look at the original language at the Hebrew. The prudent understand where they're going, but fools deceive themselves. You can understand that a little bit better. Let me read that one more time, because I just think that's so good. The prudent understand where they're going, but fools deceive themselves. 
Now, let me, let me just give some, some meaning to some of these words, if, if that helps, okay? The word prudent, the prudent, that, that means people with good sense, people who are ethical. The, the word means somebody who has good integrity, somebody who is ready for anything in the moment. They are ready to do the right thing in impromptu situations. And, and, and this verse says that they perceive, they understand, they calculate, they measure their next steps. They don't just rush out and make their next steps, no. They think about it. And they're very strategic. Now, if you have a church background, you might be thinking, well, Caleb, the Holy Spirit, you know, he does what he wants, when he wants, where he wants, and sometimes he just shows up. Hey, I agree with that, but you know what? God is also a God of order. And God also has a plan for the world. I hope you know that. that that's actually a good thing. He does. Sometimes you wonder, did you forget the plan? Hello. Did you take last year off? Right? We, we think that some of the times. But God does have a plan. As a matter of fact, in Galatians, it says, in the fullness of time, he sent Jesus. So God already had everything mapped out. God already knows when the end is going to happen. So yes, God does what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, but he also has a plan. And the prudent and the wise, we should be strategic if we want to be wise in our decisions. And, and the, the, the phrase where they are going in the NLT or ways, the word ways in the NIV, it means road, distance, but it, here's the really cool thing. It can also mean behavior. So you look at the NLT again, it says the prudent understand where they are going. You could translate that, the prudent understand their behavior. The prudent understand who they are. The prudent understand, understand what they are capable of. The prudent understand their decisions. It, literally, this word has to do with taking territory. That if you are going to understand what you should do next, you need to be calculated because that is only the only way that you can trust God and, and, and take the territory. You've got to understand who you are. Now, when, when you look at this, the prudent understand where they're going, but fools deceive themselves. You see this contrast between the prudent over here and the fools over here. Now, when you think of fool, a lot of people, I mean, we, we could think of you know, a lot of different people, right? Like, we could think of, um, you know, the, the uh, I don't know, court jester or Nickelback. Um, th those are some of the things, oh, I'm sorry, Nickelback fans in here? <laughs> That's something you should repent of, not me. Um, but fools, when you look at the original language in the Old Testament, the word fool actually it is, is deeper Okay, it means, it literally means somebody who lies, somebody who is treacherous, somebody who betrays. Fools is not just somebody who makes you laugh, it is somebody who is a betrayer, somebody who is treacherous, somebody who is a fraud, somebody who is fake, somebody who is a hypocrite. That's what a fool is. It's a very, very serious word when you look at this. And it says, uh, this is why I really love the NLT, that fools deceive themselves. Again, Proverbs 14, 8, the prudent understand where they're going, but fools deceive themselves. 
Because in the language, there's this idea that they don't only deceive the people around them, but they deceive themselves. They're not honest about who they are. You see, they have a moral insensitivity to what other people are going through. They have no empathy, they have no compassion, or at least they have very little empathy or compassion. And they end up victimizing others, and they end up deceiving themselves. And and half the time, I think that they don't even realize that they're victimizing others or deceiving themselves, but they do. Because when you and I do not have a grounding in good morals and good ethics and good character, we will eventually stray. And here's the thing, the best source The best foundation for your morals and your integrity is the person of Jesus Christ. Okay? This might be hard to believe, so forgive me ahead of time. It is not the government. It is not politicians. Okay? It it is not your favorite celebrity, your favorite sports team, okay? It is not in in the people who made and wrecked Star Wars by making The Last Jedi. It is not in them. (laughs) Not at all. Your foundation, because when your foundation, when your belief system, when your worldview, you may have different identities, you may have different ways of looking at the world, but when your identity, your primary identity is rooted in Jesus Christ and him alone, your identity is safe. Nobody can take it. Nobody can hurt it. It is secure in him. And Jesus never changes. You, you You base your main worldview off the latest trends you're always going to be changing. You know why trends always change? Because people always change. You know why people always change? Because people are insane. <laughs> Some of you are like, well, Caleb, you're just too pessimistic. No, I'm a realist. Go on Facebook. Go look. <laughs> if you really want to see a dumpster fire, go on Twitter. Big dumpster fire there. People are insane. I choose to put my worldview, my primary identity, in Christ and Christ alone. I might be a husband, a dad, and many other things, but you know what? First and foremost, I am a disciple. I am a follower of Jesus. I am a son of the Most High. You see, that's what's so incredibly important, that we will never be wise until we understand. That's where our, where our worldview should begin. That's where it should begin, and when we don't make good decisions is because usually we're not wise and we can never be continually wise, I think, unless we have our faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. Here's some other verses I'm going to read real quick uh, from Proverbs 14 that kind of support this and give the same idea. Again, in the New Living Translation, Proverbs 14, 12, it said, it says, there's a path before each person that, that, there's a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. Proverbs 14, 15 through 17 says, only simpletons believe anything they're told and the prudent carefully consider their next steps. The wise are cautious and avoid danger. Fools plunge ahead with reckless confidence and short-tempered people do foolish things and schemes are hated. 
This idea all throughout Proverbs 14 is contrasted of, of the prudent, the wise, those who are strategic, those who have a morality, and those who are fools, those who deceive themselves and others, those who are treacherous and betray. You see, because the wise, the shrewd, the prudent, they take note from the consequences of others, and they learn. And they also learn from their own mistakes. They look beyond appearances. They think to themselves, Murphy's Law, what could go wrong? And they're intentional, not only about their decisions, but they are intentional about who they are. So here's the question again, what do I do when I don't know what to do? And here's the principle that will help you be able to navigate your way through uncertainty and ambiguity, whatever it looks like. Here it is, and this is what I think we're getting from the verses we're looking at. That honesty about who I am helps me to know what to do. Honesty about who I am as a person helps me know what to do. If you are not honest about yourself, you'll never know what to do. If you have too high opinion of yourself, you ever know somebody that really like think that they are God's gift to everyone? They're fun to be around. Right? Yeah, some of you are like, no, I don't know that. The person next to you is like, mm-hmm. <laughs> There's some people that have such a high view that they have a big problem seeing the other side, asking questions like, what's it like to be on the other side of me? But then there are some of you, you know, this is prideful. We think of this, and it is prideful to have too high view of yourself. You know what else is prideful? To have a really, really low view of yourself. That's prideful too. You're like, Caleb, how is that prideful? Because you're still drawing attention to yourself. And you're not seeing yourself in the way that God created you. Yeah, you're, you're a sinful, broken, messed up person. Look at the person next to you, on your left. Just look, and if you don't know them, look in a non-creepy way. Look to the person on your right. Look to the person on your right. Okay, see them? Look behind you in a non-creepy way. Okay, see all these people around you? They're broken. They're messed up. Like, Caleb, how dare you? No, it's true. We all are. If we weren't, we wouldn't need Jesus, right? But even though that you and I are still scarred by sin, and even though we might be following Jesus and he has made us whole, yeah, we still have sin, but that doesn't mean that we don't have good things and talents and so on that God has created us, that, that you... When you think too lowly of yourself, you need to start looking at the other side. If you are not honest about who you are, if you're not honest about what you struggle with, if you're not honest and you don't learn about what happened in the past, you will not know what to do. There is wisdom there because the prudent, they're able to measure their next steps because they don't deceive themselves because they learn. Honesty is key because when you're not honest about who you are, you won't know what to do. See, I, I grew up in a home, I don't know if you know my story or not, I grew up in a home where my parents, I felt, were not honest about who they were and they were not honest with me about many, many different things. So my parents were both, uh, were both professors, my mom and dad, at the University of Missouri Columbia. They divorced when I was two years old and after they divorced, they both went into same-sex relationships. My mom was in a 22-year monogamous relationship with this psychologist named Vera. They moved to Kansas City, and my dad never had one monogamous partner, but he had several different friends. 
He's a bit more in the closet, but my parents were activists. My mom and Vera, when they moved to Kansas City, they joined the local board of directors for GLAAD. Um, they took me with them uh, to activist events and bars and clubs when I was in elementary school, middle school, high school. They took me with them to march and pride parades. And I thought, wow, this is what it's like. I thought that that's who they were in and of themselves. I thought that their community mainly identified them and their community mainly identified me. That's what I thought when I was growing up. You see, the prudent are honest about who they are. I remember one pride parade I was marching in with, with my mom and Vera and their friends when I was in elementary school. At the end of the parade, there were all these quote unquote Christians holding up signs saying, God hates you, turn or burn. And when people from my mom's parade would go try to talk to them, these so-called Christians would spray them with water and urine, saying this is what Jesus thinks of you. You talk about somebody who's not honest about who they are. I remember even as a kid, I looked up at my mom and I said, Mom, why are they acting like that? And she looked at me and she said, Caleb, they're Christians and Christians hate gay people. If you are not like them, they will not like you. And I saw that time and time again. I saw families ignoring their young sons dying of AIDS in the 1980s, not wanting to touch them because they didn't want to catch anything, not even being there, you know, because their son was a sinner. And yet their son was dying of AIDS. Have you ever seen somebody dying from AIDS? I have. Yet because these believers, so-called, were not honest about who they were and what they were to do to show love to anyone, no matter what, they couldn't understand who they really were in Christ. And so here's what I grew up thinking, okay? I never want to be a Christian, and I don't want to follow Jesus because he's their leader. Because if Christians are this bad, I can't imagine how awful Jesus Christ is. I think we really underestimate how much our words and actions will either encourage somebody's relationship with Jesus or discourage it. And so when I was 16, I, like, I was sneaking out at night. My parents didn't care. I was getting drunk. I was living it up. My hair was down to here. Uh, it's not funny. <laughs> Since then, the Lord removeth and addeth. <laughs> and I got invited to this Bible study for um, high schoolers, you know, and I thought, this is going to be perfect. I'm going to go and I'm going to be a pretend Christian, and I'm going to learn about their faith and dismantle it. And, you know, as you can tell, that worked out real well. So <laughs> at the age of 16, I showed up to this Christian household. I had never walked into a Christian household before, much less even a Catholic household. And, and if this describes your house, I'm not insulting you, okay? Please forgive me ahead of time. I'm really, I really mean that from the bottom of my heart. I'm not insulting you. I'm just telling you, for an unbelieving, unchurched 16-year-old walking into this house, I, I didn't know what to think because it looked like these people had raided a Bible bookstore and dropped it in their living room. Like literally, I walked in and they had the potpourri smell. You ever walk into a Christian bookstore or a Bible bookstore? You're like, well, that's refreshing. They had that. They had Christian breath mints. Did you guys know we have our own breath mints? <laughs> Called testaments. Don't ever try them, unless you want to see what cyanide and peppermint taste like. And 
Then they had the Bible bookstore paintings on the wall. And I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, why do they have a framed picture of a lion and a kid playing with a cobra with a Bible verse? Why do they have a framed picture of a sheep? I had never been in a house, never, where people had framed pictures of animals they didn't own with Bible verses. And then a guy comes up from the basement. He's like, oh, why don't you come with us? We've circled up downstairs. And I'm thinking, well, this is the beginning of a horror movie. Like, <laughs> since then, there are two things I don't do. I do not camp because bad things happen in the woods. Judge me. I'm cool with that. I'm married to a hot woman. I don't care, okay? <laughs> I don't camp. I don't go to the woods. And I don't go to basements. Bad things happen in both places. And so, but this time I went down there and we circled up. And I was supposed to read from 1 Corinthians, and I couldn't find it, so I read a verse from 1 Chronicles. Um, <laughs> didn't even know there was an Old or a New Testament. I just thought this was a, an irrelevant, dusty old book. But the more that I went, the more that I realized that the Christians on the street corners, the Christians protesting, the Christians who were just vehemently disagreeing to the point of showing hatred, they weren't being honest about who they were because Jesus was not like that. I learned that Jesus had very deep theological beliefs. He had very real expectations for how his followers should live their lives and follow him. But he also had very real and personal relationships with people who are nothing like him. And I love what Pastor Andy Stanley at North Point in Atlanta says. The people who are nothing like Jesus liked Jesus and he liked them back. And I was like, I can get on board with that. I don't want the cheap picture, but I can get on board with that. And I started to study what, what does the Bible have to say about sexuality? Because I knew that that would be a, a big thing. And I, and I came to two conclusions that I still hold today. And the first one is this. That God designed sexual intimacy and affection to be expressed in marriage between a man and a woman. And I still believe that today. And that's my belief. But I also believe this equally. That a theological conviction should never be a catalyst to devalue another human being. That if what you believe... That if what you believe about relationships, sexuality, sex, and so on and so forth causes you to treat people as less than, then you forgot what Jesus said, that love God, love people. You forgot what Paul said in Romans 13, 8 through 10, that love is, that loving your neighbor is fulfilling the Old Testament law. You, you and I, you know, some of us, we still have our beliefs over here. That never impacts how I love somebody over here or how I value them. Then I had to come out to my parents as a Christian. My three gay parents, I came out to them, I did. And they kicked me out. And so a lot of the treatment that some LGBTQ students have gotten from their conservative parents, I got from my parents over here. Why? Because they're homo sapiens. That means human beings, okay? They're humans. It is a human thing to be fearful, people. It really is. We fear whatever we don't understand or whoever we don't understand or whatever or whoever makes us feel out of control. And we go into fight or flight mode when we should lean into the relationship and get to know people. And that's not a Christian thing. That's a homo sapien thing. That's a human thing. That is a people thing. We all struggle with it. And fear can't hold us back. The Bible says to fear two things. God and nothing. Now, 
Eventually, they let me back in. I went to Bible college in southern Missouri. Have you ever been to southern Missouri, anybody? Yeah, don't go. Um, <laughs> most family trees just go one direction, just straight up, no branching. So I would just steer clear of southern Missouri, just go around Arkansas and southern Missouri. Just, you have to take the long way across the U.S. And so when I, was, when I graduated, I moved out to Los Angeles. Then I was in Texas for a while. And while I was there, my mom and dad started to move down there to be closer to our family, started attending my church that I was preaching at. Even though they knew what I believed, they started attending. And the people at this church loved them. They didn't agree theologically with their views, but they loved them. They loved them so much that the summer of 2013, when we moved back to Southern California, two weeks before we moved, my mom and dad at the ages of 69, 70 gave their lives to Jesus for the very first time. And after a whole life of confusion about who they were, they finally know right now. Because there was a church that was secure enough in Christ to love people who were not like them and to understand that other people don't like them, you know, themselves, and so they need to love people. Understanding who you are and understanding that your primary identity is in Christ is so important. Honesty about who I am helps me know what to do. Here, here are just three quick things to do real quick to help you with this, okay? Number one, if you want to be prudent and live out this principle, look in the mirror before you pick up the magnifying glass. Look in the mirror before you pick up the magnifying glass. It is easier to pick in, up the magnifying glass and just look at people and highlight their faults. And if you get it, you can get the sun, you just burn them. <laughs> right? We see a lot of that right now. Like we see a lot of anger. And, and there are some reasons why people should be angry, okay? There's never, never, ever a reason for wrath. Or, or am I the only one who saw that Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you? So how do you look in the mirror? Okay? You allow others to speak into your life. You let other people honestly tell you and help you see your blind spots. And you don't get mad at them about it. They might be wrong, but you don't get mad. You listen and you pray about it and you take note. You ask yourself questions like, what have I struggled with in the past? What am I struggling with now? Under what circumstances do I normally struggle? You have got to know yourself because as self-aware as we think that we are, we do not know ourselves that well, okay? We need to practice looking in the mirror because when I look in the mirror, I don't have time to pick up the magnifying glass. When I look in the mirror and I understand who I am and I see my faults and I practice repentance on a daily basis, that gives me more margin to be forgiving and also, to give grace to people that aren't like me, that may disagree with me, that may just annoy me because I realize how much I've been forgiven. I'm gonna tell you, great repenters make really good forgivers. Here's the second thing. Never lower anyone to your opinion of them, okay? Your opinion is your opinion and it's still jaded and skewed a little bit. Like, no, it's not. I know you think it's not. Everybody else around you, well, they agree. Yeah, do they? Your opinion is your opinion. Nobody deserves to be lowered down to your opinion of them. You know why? 
Because everybody in this room, everybody that we see, everybody that we don't like, and even the people that don't like us, even the people that we've never met that we don't like, everybody that you see, everybody that you know, everybody that you've heard, everyone is someone that God created and Jesus died for. That means that all of us have the same equal intrinsic value, period. There's no one greater than the other. There's no one lesser than the other. So how dare we ever treat anyone other lesser than any of the rest of us? We, we can't. Everybody is still made, no matter how bad they are, no matter how bad you may think they are, they're still made in God's image and likeness. Even though sin has marred them, they still carry that image, and God has allowed us to because he wants us to have a spiritual relationship with him. Third thing is this. Ask, am I a safe place for those who feel out of place? If someone feels out of place, if someone feels hurt, if someone feels marginalized, are you a safe place for people that feel like they are completely out of place? Are you easy to talk to? Are you somebody that is not easily offended? Are you unoffendable? Are you secure enough to where you don't get worked up about every little critique or even the big critiques? Because at the end of the day, you're letting those people rent space in your head. That will keep you from being prudent. Let me say this bottom line again. Honesty about who I am helps me know what to do. I, I wanna I I close with this, okay? Um, the end of April was tough for our family. My wife's dad, Larry, um, who was in his early 60s, had surgery. Everybody expected the surgery to go well, even the doctors. And my wife was down in Orange County with her mom and her sister at the hospital. And my kids and I, we were up waiting to hear about how everything was and when we were gonna drive down late that night. And Amy called me and I just had this feeling, I need to take this in the backyard, so I did. And she said, Caleb, he died. Something just went wrong in the surgery and he just, they lost him. I didn't know what to do. I thought of a I hated telling my kids. My son, who's 14, he's the oldest of all the grandkids. I've never seen him cry like that. They were like this. I never want to see him cry like that again. I thought I could say a couple of comforting things. I ended up crying with both of them, one in each arm. We sat on the floor and just cried. There's just, there's, sometimes there's just no words. You know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful that back in 2011, my wife led her mom and dad to the Lord and baptized them. Her dad worked so hard to get sober. So hard. 30 years, like, he was clean for 30 years, but it was a struggle. But he worked. And in the last since he became a Christian in 2011, in those last 10 years that he had, he worked so hard to be a great example for his grandkids. And that meant being honest about who he was, about who he'd hurt, about who he'd offended, and he worked and he worked 
He started a recovery program at the church that I'm on staff at in LA. Every Monday night, even last Monday night, there were 150 men and women there. You know, I'm, I'm so glad that he was honest about who he was, that he was prudent, because he set an example for my son and daughter and my niece and nephew. But here's the cool thing, and I promise I'm done. The night before he died, he was already checked in the hospital. My wife and daughter and son and I were on the phone with him, speakerphone, just praying with him and saying, we'll see you soon. Looking forward to this summer. We had plans this summer, by the way. We had plans. And before we hung up, my son asked this question. And it's a question where, at first, as a parent, you're like, But then I thought, you know what, Just, I'm going to let it play out and see what happens. My son asked us, he said, Papa, what happens if you don't make it? Here's what Larry said, and my kids will never forget this. Joel, I don't think that's going to happen, but if it does, I want you to know that I know where I'm going, and I know who I'm going to be with. And if that happens, here's what I want you and your sister to do. I want you to stay as close to Jesus as you can for the rest of your life. The night that I told them. And after they had, we'd gotten through our first wave of crying, my kids said, Papa told us to be as close to Jesus as we can. I'm so thankful that my father-in-law was prudent. Honesty about who you are will help you know what to do. And I'm glad that he was honest with himself. Because my kids will never forget that. My father-in-law, because of his faith in Christ, he was one of the wisest people I know. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you so much for Jesus. Honesty about who we are begins with your son. We have to be honest about who we are, because until we are honest about who we are, we will never know who he is. I pray, Father God, that we will submit ourselves to you. That we will not run from honesty. We will not give in to self-deception, Father. I pray that we will put down the magnifying glass, that we will look in the mirror. Father God, I pray that we will ask, am I a safe place for people who feel out of place? Father, I pray that we will do all these things and I pray, Father, that as we really think about others and ourselves, that we will be realistic and we will think about ourselves and others with grace and truth. Thank you for your son who makes all this possible. It's in his name I pray, amen. God bless you guys. The St. Caleb. You know, anytime we're fortunate enough to have a guest speaker like Caleb come, it's always a thrill to have God's word open to us in our hearts. But tonight he shared not only the word of God, he shared his heart and his journey. And it seems like that's what God wants all of us to be able to do with one another so we can be deep into God's grace. Now, no need to buy him a cup of coffee afterwards tonight. He doesn't drink, but whatever you do, don't let him buy a cup of tea for you, all right? <laughs> God bless you guys. We'll see you next weekend.